Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. My name is Steve Fredland, and I'm your host, and we are on episode 154, which is part two of our discussion with Adam Friedman talking about mixed games. Adam is a three-time WSOP champion, back-to-back mixed game titles, uh, just a beast in both Texas Hold'em as well as all the other mixed games. Uh, We are sponsored, as always, by Running Aces, Racetrack, and Casino. Uh, Thanks to those guys. And uh, the players of the week for Running Aces, Jeff Jorgensen, again, 28 points, Ray Dickerson, Max Gatke, and Joe Besh. Uh, so congratulations to you guys for picking up some bonus tournament lammers. A few things coming up. Uh, first of all, the big thing uh, that I want to make sure you're aware of is uh, I am doing an introduction to poker math seminar. So I know we have an audience that's across the board. Uh, for those of you who are newer, this seminar is for you. It's really an idea. To, the, the idea is to give you a, a grounding in poker math. You don't need to be a math wizard. We're not going to be doing calculus. But the idea is how do you use math to help make the best decisions? And uh, the idea is I'm going to give you the concepts that if you can figure these out, if you can start to apply these on a regular basis, you're going to be able to get about 80% of the way there to really having an advantage over those folks that you play at the bar league and your home games at the smaller buy-in tournaments at the casino. So we're going to spend two hours together. Uh, I'm going to share some content. We'll have Q&A. We'll have some real-world applications to walk through for two hours from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time on November 15th or November 19th. Two options. And you can sign up. It's 20 bucks for the seminar, 15 bucks if you are a member of the Rec Poker community, and you get access to both nights. So you can uh, attend either one that works for you, or you can attend them both if you want. Just go to rec.poker slash seminars, and that'll give you all the information that you need on that deal. I'm really excited about it. Uh, I think it's a very affordable price. Um, If that cost is an issue for you, reach out to me. Uh, If you want to participate and the cost is an issue, reach out. Let's make it happen. Uh, Other things that are coming up quickly, uh, this Wednesday, November 6th, a couple of opportunities at 6.30 p.m. Central Time. We'll be walking through another hand history Uh, talking about defending the big blind with Chris Jones. And then at 8 o'clock, we've got our third monthly online Poker Stars tournament. It's free. Anybody can be a part of that deal. Um, You just got to go to to rec.poker, click on home game, uh, and all the information is there for you to sign up uh, and be part of that thing. It's super fun. It's a great time. Uh, and we give away three copies of the Andrew Brokus book, Playing Optimal Poker to the Top Three Finishers, free of charge. All right, then uh, November 11th, next Monday, uh, Lena Evans and crew from the Poker League of Nations will join us uh, for our interview uh, for the podcast. And, and these, these, this is available if you are a Rec Poker community member. You can sit in on that, ask questions, the whole ball of wax. Uh, so participate in that. And then the following Wednesday, November 13th, a couple of other options We'll be looking at Chapter 5 of our book study. We're going through Andrew Brokus's book right now. That's at 6.30 p.m. And then at 8 p.m., Taylor Moss is going to be walking through some hand history, again, with our theme of defending the big blind. Uh, NFL Survivor Pool, apparently we have nine people that are still in this thing, still cranking uh, as we go into Week 10. Make sure you check out our Discord, our membership site. Go to rec.poker for all the information. You can also sign up for our, our uh, email newsletter, which is probably the best way to stay informed. 
Uh, I do not give away email addresses, so it's a safe way to stay connected with Rec.Poker or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, uh, the usual suspects. So with that, we are going to now join part two of the discussion we are having with Adam Friedman. Uh, make sure you go back and listen to part one. Very interesting discussion. I uh, brought some people onto the panel that uh, understand mixed games and play mixed games because that's not my forte. Uh, so we had some great people asking some great questions and some wonderful discussion with Adam, uh, who was gracious enough to give us enough content for a couple of weeks. So some good stuff there. So check it out. Uh, and then I'll come back to you uh, at the end of the interview. Thanks. No, let me hold them. So what would you say about a player like like me, Adam? So I only play uh, No Limit Hold'em. And part of that is part of my rationale, and I'm not bored with it yet, but part of my rationale is, you know, I'm, I'm a one-trick pony, but I'm trying to learn this one game. Until I, you know, I really want to figure out this one game. I want to focus there. I don't want to be distracted by other things. But I've had other people that play mixed games say, yes, but playing mixed games will actually benefit your Hold'em game. And I've yet to kind of give into that. I'd love to know kind of your, your thoughts. And you touched on it earlier, but what, what sort of advice would you give to me in, in that situation? Uh, I mean, the best, like, I don't know. I'm not even really sure the best way to answer that. I mean, because there's a number of people that are like me. There's a lot of people that are like me that are kind of saying the same thing. Like, I still feel like I'm trying to figure out one game. You know, I don't want to get confused. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I, I can understand that idea. I mean, I I mean, I I don't even deny games come fairly quick to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've told several people, if a new game gets invented tomorrow, you can match me up with anybody in terms of uh, I'll get the game. I'll understand the game as about as quick as anybody. Uh, I, I don't know if that's a, you know, a, a, a natural talent. And I don't, again, I don't consider myself a top Supreme player by any stretch, but I mean, I just understand. I mean, just in terms of poker, I do understand just, you know, what basic concepts are overall. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I, I just seem to get a feel for how I'm supposed to play pretty tight right away. And eventually I'll pick up spots like, Oh, these are pretty good bluffing spots. I'll keep that in mind. I should probably have the best hand in none of the scenarios. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I grant, I grant, I admit, I can adapt very quickly, uh, to new games and new situations and scenarios. Um, but like I said, just like, all I'd say is, you know, if, if there's, you know, just find basic knowledge that's out there. Uh, you know, you know, I mean, I, I, for the most part, like, game like Limit Hold'em, stuff hasn't really changed too much on Limit Hold'em over the years. Uh, I mean, like, there's still easy some, like, Limit Hold'em books, I'm sure that, you know, are, are, I assume they're still out there and probably even some of this new stuff. But, you know, the ba- a lot of the basic concepts, for the most part, don't change too much, uh, especially when you're playing, the, like I said, the lower limits. So all you can do is just go out there and just battle and just, uh, you know, you just you can't be afraid. You know I mean? Right. You might, you might lose. Most, most people are going to lose. Actually, most all, just about everybody's going to lose initially when they're playing a new game. The only question is for how long and how quickly they can learn and adapt and how much are they willing to put in the time to learn. That's all. So, so, so if if people like me are out there, if if we're not bored with Hold'em, would you still say mixed games would be advantageous to help our game, or is it like? Yeah, yeah uh, if, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I I be I mean, one of the things uh, that helped my No Limit Home game initially seven eight years ago was playing the mixed games. I mean, there's some stuff I see I can't even necessarily explain on why something in Studator better would help me in No Limit Hold'em, like I mentioned yeah. earlier, or like I said, Game A would help me in Game C, or Game C will help me in Game G, and so forth. Uh, I, I can't give you a good rhyme reason. It just there's certain things I see I can't always necessarily explain. So yeah, that's. I mean, it, there are things that'll come up. But sure, this if you love playing No Limit Hold'em or whatever one or two games you love playing, just yeah. play, you know whatever. Hey, we're all different. You work work what's best for you. 
Well, I'm trying to decide how much John Somsky is going to be able to leverage his desire for mixed games to pull me into his web of playing mixed games. It's I mean, all you, part of my plan. I think it is. <laughs> I mean, like I said, you guys from the same town, just, you know, just, uh, you know, whenever John's playing, just go over and play, play there one time. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, you can even watch one time. Just, you know, I'm sure they won't mind you watching once or twice. You know, like I said, we need to get more blood. We need to get new blood into mixed games. Yeah. Yeah. Then John can take my chips oh. in, a, in a variety of different ways. <sighs> exactly. Count me in on that. I, I'd like to get you into that mixed game web as well, Steve. Let's, let's get it going. All right. Well, we made it to, okay. Rec Poker Nation. Okay. You're listening right now. We got a few panelists, some in Minnesota, some not in Minnesota. Uh, if you are part of Rec Poker Nation, you're looking to get into mixed games and you haven't really gotten into it. Uh, shoot us a note, uh, put a comment on Twitter, Facebook, uh, the YouTube, whatever. Uh, let us know. Uh, we can start a little bit of a movement here, and then uh, then we can uh, play against Adam Friedman. That's, that sounds good by <laughs> me. Adam, Adam's like, okay, thanks for putting me on the spot there. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it sounds good. No, 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 it, no it wasn't that. Uh, I was screwing around with the computer just as you were talking there, and I'm trying to figure out what he just did. Adam's like, yes, get all these new people together and then come play against me. This will be fantastic. Um, any, any? Uh, so John, Dave, Rob, any comments, questions? Okay. All right, good. I got my computer back to normal. Okay, sorry. John, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think uh, part of what you said, it, one of the biggest differences I notice in mixed games is uh, they have one of the casinos nearby has a, they had a dealer's choice tournament. And they usually had that. It replaces the horse tournament they had once a year. But, you know, it's one of those things, everyone there is having a good time. And for a lot of people, it's the only tournament time of the year they get to play that game in a tournament form because it's the only one that's offered around here. Yeah. And, you know, it's uh, part of it is because it, it's limit. So people aren't taking 20 minutes to make their decisions. Yep. Um, but, you know, it's just the whole atmosphere at the table is generally a lot lighter, a lot more fun. Um, and you know, I I don't think I've hardly ever enjoyed tournaments as much as I've enjoyed playing that particular tournament every year. Yeah, and like I said, I mean that's the, that's the one thing we all like. We we love the idea that wow, you can play this game at a tournament concert. That happens maybe twice a year for us. I mean, <clears throat> about the only tournaments that I'll play really ever are the. Uh, uh, in fact, I don't even think I played the fifteen hundred this year at the World Series, if I remember correctly, uh, or maybe I did. I just don't recall. Uh, are the are the two events of the World Series, and then. Uh, Matt Savage has a, a dealer's choice at the end of the, uh, he has a 2K after the uh, main event out in LA, uh, which I think I played once or twice, but usually I'm playing cash afterwards. Uh, usually I'm concentrating on cash games uh, that time of year when I'm in LA. But yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, it's a, when you get the chance to do something that doesn't exist anymore, it's, it's just, it's fun. It's so much more fun uh, to be able to get the chance to play. And a lot of people are pretty, like I said, people are like, people usually are happier playing mixed games than they are, uh, uh, then they are no limit holding, or uh, and, and people are a little bit happier playing PLO because of the action. But at least, at least compared to no limit holding, it's night and day. So, so let's talk a little bit about about strategy stuff. And and this is probably a better question for some of the panelists to ask. But you know, g- give us a little bit of a strategy tip, if you will. Like if you were playing Texas Holding, we'd be kind of grilling you on what are some some strategic advantages. You know, are there certain games 
where obviously, you know, at the, at the levels you play, you're not going to be giving anything away about your specific strategy. But for those of us who are newcomers to the game, what are some other sort of strategy tips that we should really be having front of mind? So obviously, play less hands in certain situations, those things. But are there, are there any sort of mixed game strategy things that are like, these are core principles to playing some of these games that people are just missing out time and time again? The one basic concept I would say overall, the one difference between, let's say, a mixed game tournament as opposed to a mixed game cash game, or just any cash game in general, uh, in a cash game, in a lot of ways, you're going for the throat. Uh, you're trying to get seek out that extra bet. In a tournament, it's more it's uh, it's more important to try to save a bet than make an extra bet because you just might you might need that one extra bet later down the line when uh, you know a hand will come up and all of a sudden instead of getting to a raising or you know a hand that's good but not great, you can be out of the tournament. But if you're in a feel like passively where less bets are getting in, you might be able to have one or two extra bets which you can just come back from. Uh, uh, hmm. I've had a couple stories where I've been able to make a few final tables where I was down to one bet and all of a sudden I turned that one bet into three bets and they turn that three bets into six bets and that six bets into 15 bets. I mean, it, it can happen. Uh, you just got to be willing to, uh, you really have to try to minimize loss. You got to be able to save. It's more important to save a bet than make a bet uh, is the big difference and fundamental difference uh, in cash games as opposed to tournaments. That's good. So, so how does that manifest itself? More, more check backs, just sort of not trying to get value on every street with a medium hand kind of stuff. I mean, I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. If you're pretty sure you got the best team, sure. you got to go for it. I mean, but, you know, there are spots where maybe, uh, yeah, for example, like, let's say Limit Hold'em. Let's say you, you raise the, you know, let's say you're getting pretty short. Let's say you raise King Jack and the, some guy th- and someone three bets you and the flop goes King Six Deuce. All right, you're going to have the best hand a ton there. But, I mean, uh, someone has, uh, but let's say if you just check call, check golf, someone's got Ace King or King Queen, you're, sa- you're saving bets by not getting a raising. And if they have a hand like Ace Queen or Two Nines or something, you know, there a lot of people are just going to fold. Uh, when you check raising barrel barrel, so basically you're uh, you're not going to be getting a complete value, and this way at least you save yourself the potential from getting knocked out of a tournament. That's good. Yeah. So. And so, so one one of the follow up kind of to that strategically, and this you know applies to no limit hold'em, but it might apply to mixed games as well. You can fill us in on that, but you know you this is for a lot of the recreational players that are out there. That uh, one of the knocks on a lot of recreational players is they play too passive. And so then they hear this message of, you know, aggressive poker is winning poker. And so they get aggressive, but they're getting aggressive at the wrong times. It's not as calculated as it needs to be. They're just randomly sort of increasing aggression. Yeah. And I watched you play, you know, obviously I, I covered the MSPT and I watched you win that event. And I've, I watched this sort of dynamic of you tightening Hello? up for a while. Can you hear me? Check, Hello? check. Adam, did we lose you? John, no, I'm, you, here, I'm here. I'm here. Okay. Okay. So I was just going to say, so, you know, covering the MSPT, I saw these periods of time where you were pretty tight and then there's periods of time where you're pretty aggressive. And I know that's all strategic and all those things, but, but maybe talk a little bit about that more broadly in terms of poker and mixed games, this idea of aggressive poker is winning poker, but it has to be strategic. I mean, there are times like anything else where uh, you're at and you've got, you've got to know when, uh, you've got to know when it's, when people are, are just laying back and you can take advantage of certain spots. But then when people uh, decide, you know what, I, I'm gonna, I'll, forget that. I'm going to start calling the sky. Boy the you got, you got, you got to change your gears accordingly, depending on how people are playing you. Um, the tournament that you watched me in, for instance, um, and this, this can apply to anything to any tournament, or any game. Like when you were watching me play the uh, MSPT Cleveland tournament, uh, you know, I had a pretty big stack for, for the most part. Uh, yeah. 
But then, uh, you know, I was able to get that spot against the only guy who had me covered at 20 because I knew he was going to do something really random against me. And I couldn't just do some of the stuff I wanted to do. But when I was able to get in Kings against, was it Jack 9 or Jack 8 preflop for all the chips, essentially? Yeah. Or not all, but for about 20% of the chips in play. Uh, you know, I, I was able to win that hand. For the most part, I was in cruise control after that. A lot of the, I was, it was very fortunate that more so than some of the, the than the previous uh, one case in Cleveland, it was a much more inexperienced uh, like final table to mm-hmm. where people really wanted to ladder up certain spots and it was pretty obvious to me. So I was able to basically still, still, well, literally without even looking at my cards uh, in certain situations. I mean, I was, but almost, it almost didn't matter what I was raising. And where if they, if they did come over the time, they had it every time. Uh, it was almost similar uh, that tournament you saw me down in Indiana. I ran to the nuts every single hand at the final table. Yeah. Uh, I had three or four friends watching. They said, literally, Adam, you ran to ace, king, and kings every hand you raised. Uh, it, was just, it, was, it, was, it was remarkable. Like and Nobody else was getting three back because nobody ever woke up with a hand. Somehow they always had it against you, right. uh, which is good. I mean, they're playing pretty predictable, but it was just bad luck. I ran on the nuts every hand, and you know, it's going to happen, uh, especially the way I'm going to play because I'm looking for every spot uh, when I'm playing with players that I think that are less experienced or people that fear me in general. So is there any, is there any okay. difference sort of strategically when you move from like, like, like hold them, like you're saying, you know, I'm adjusting to the table dynamics and, you know, kind of take what they give you that sort of thing. Is that same principle applied to all mixed games? I mean, it, or are there somewhere that's not as big of an issue? Is it pretty much the same principle applies I mean, everywhere? Yeah, it, it really does. I mean, again, you know, you got to make a, you got to, you got to see what's going on around you. You've got to be very aware of every individual. How how do how you know the way one person perceives you might be the complete uh, mm-hmm. one eighty of how somebody else perceives you? Like there are some there, I mean there's some pros that you guys know. They think I'm a complete nutcase, and there are other players they think I'm the biggest nit that ever lived. <laughs> uh, uh, Phil Helmuth has me on one on one on one spectrum, and I, I find it pretty laughable that he thinks it. Uh, uh, on what he thinks, for instance, <laughs> um, but. You know, it's a, uh, you've got to know how people try to perceive you in general and uh, go from there. I mean, you know, it's uh, like when I'm playing the mixing tournament, you know, the, you know we're playing, when we're, when we're playing for pretty huge bubbles, there are spots you can take advantage of. I want to yeah. play, when I, when I got the big, if I've got the big stack on the table, I want to pick certain games that are going to be much more volatile. People are going to be like, oh crap, I don't want to hmm. get involved in certain marginal spots. So maybe I'm picking games that are a little bit more volatile, games like Triple Jar, Little Hold'em, or when I get, a, when I get a little bit shorter, I want to play game, I want to game, play games that are, a little bit tighter where I'm going to be chopping or, cho- or chopping certain spots if I'm just playing better hands or it's going to be pretty hard to get scooped in. Uh, so you want to be able to adjust accordingly. Like, and like I said, that's more of a deal's choice co- concept, but yeah, in I general, yeah, but yeah, so you just, you always need to be aware of your, uh, your table presence in your table image compared to everybody else uh, and how they perceive you. And like I said, the tournament in Cleveland, you were watching me at the final table. I, I, I think I, any chance I thought I had a shot at raising, I was because uh, I saw him look at it afterwards. I, Half the time, if, if I think about it, half the time when there's a break between like a final, t- like a, a dinner break and a final table, probably fifty percent of the time I'll look to see what people have done in the past uh, in terms of look at their hand and mob results. Right. And it just so happened it was an incredibly inexperienced table uh, overall. In fact, I think the uh, other nine people combined, if I remember correctly, I don't think they had more than three four hundred thousand caches combined. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was definitely where every, everybody was playing. For their biggest pay, about I think if I'm pretty sure, actually I'm. Sorry, I, everybody was definitely playing for their biggest payday ever. I think first place was a, uh, a little under 120,000, or maybe a little bit Something over. Like that, yeah, yeah, give or take a little, it was right around 120,000. I don't think anybody had ever had a fifty thousand dollars score before. So, uh, you know, when people, for instance, like in that scenario, you know, like people are like, oh my god, I really have a shot. You know, twenty and a hundred thousand is a ton of money. Uh, but you can take advantage of people's uh 
you know, being scared for like, oh man, I really don't want to screw this up or look at this. I mean, whereas maybe a lot of the tournaments these guys have played in maybe first places, you know, maybe 4,000 or $6,000 or $8,000. Now they're playing for four, six, eight thousand $8,000 jumps. Right. Yep. That's a, that's you know, when you, when you haven't done that before, that can be incredibly intimidating. But the fact that I, I'm noticing that with these players, it means I can, I can do a lot of, I can do a lot more stuff against them. Yeah, I mean, you, can do more, to, you can do more stuff against them, but it also means that they probably have it when they show excessive aggression. They're more likely to have it. I mean, right. so some people, I mean, obviously everyone's different, but for the most right. part, the average, the average individual in that scenario is more likely to, I mean, right. I guess if I were to, uh, you know, if I, I guess the first, if they ever have a $250,000 mixed game event and someone's willing to put me in, yeah, when the min, when the min cash is going to be 500, maybe that turn will happen 10 years from now, you know? And yeah, maybe yeah. the first time, some, you know, the min, you know, getting in there is a 500,000. I'm sure I'm going to be playing much more differently. And now I'm <laughs> playing for 100K, 200K jumps. I'm sure that would have the same concept. Right. You know, it, it, it's so different when you're playing a higher cash game for, for the first time. You know, it, it can be a little intimidating the first time you're playing a bigger limit for the first time. For sure. And, yeah. and, it's, and it's a normal feeling to have. You yeah, that, that's right. I think that's that's a good point to raise for all of us. You know, whatever stakes you're playing, whatever jumps are significant to you, that's going to be significant to you. But of course, the, but but the question the the question is then how do you when you when you internalize that feeling when you see okay what does that look like to have a three hundred dollar pay bump and I'm nervous or a twenty thousand dollar pay bump and I'm nervous? Think about what the other players are going through. Are there whatever game that you're playing, whatever final table you're at, are other players probably feeling the same way that you? felt when you first had that experience okay. and then how do you how do you exploit that uh I, I, it's incredibly natural now granted when i'm playing like the uh, dealer's choice i mean I, I mean for example the the six of us i mean we've all played high stakes cash where we've right. all had gone through absurd swings to where i mean no one's at, at that at that at that level like, you know no one's really uh going to be able to but even then you know there's spots where you know you're, you are trying if you're super short and you're probably not going to win it i mean and you're likely not to win it and we're all it's not like you know, when someone has 20 times as many chips as you in a limit tournament, like let's say first place compared to sixth place, sixth place isn't really thinking, yeah, I'm going to win this tournament. They're just thinking, right. all right, how can I sell them? Maybe how can I ladder in that scenario? Because maybe that is the most optimal spot in that scenario. But in general, all it is is, you know, everyone has a first. These guys that I played with in the Cleveland tournament, if, if I think for the most part, maybe, you know, maybe, one, maybe one or two guys that played for a spot were first place that much, but they never actually, like I said, right. had that big score. So the next time some of these guys get in that spot, It'll be less intimidating. It'll be less yep. scary. Uh, you know, it's uh, no different. Like I said, I've had the shot to play for a million dollars one time in a final table and uh, at the LAPC final table five years, five, six years ago, whatever it was. And for whatever, now, like I, said, I played for a couple hundred thousand before, so it was a little bit easier, I guess, of a little transition. It sucked. I never won a hand that day, but that had nothing <laughs> to do with nerves. I just, I never, I mean, I never made a hand. And the, when I got tried stealing, I got free bet. And it was one of those days. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the first time you're playing for you know huge, you know, much bigger numbers than you're used to playing, whether it's a cash or tournament, it's natural. It's almost freakish if it doesn't affect you actually. Right. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I mean, yeah. all it is is experience, and the and the first time is usually the toughest. The second time gets a little bit easier. Third time easier after that, and so forth. Yeah, that's well said, John. Did you have something? Yeah, I had a uh, Badugi strategy question actually. All right. The the biggest issue i've never figured out what the right way to play it is if you you're dealt a pat uh mediocre badoogie like let's say a queen high jack high 10 high badoogie you're dealt at pat what's the right way to play that um you know when you get dealt the uh king badoogie and queen badoogies like an under the gun you know six seven hand a game it really is a hold your breath uh go from there i mean Especially if if it's not a convertible, 
you know, if you have like, if you got like the king queen ten six as opposed to the you know king six four ace where you can break um you know those rough padoogies are very difficult to play uh you know in lower limits people aren't going to be bluffing at anywhere near as much so when you when you raise and they call you and they're drawing one or drawing two and eventually they raise you i mean they're going to nearly have it every time and you can just almost fold uh whereas occasionally when you're playing a bit higher it's not always necessarily the case you got to be able to read scenarios certain you know specifically well but again that's again if you're playing much higher but for the most part you want to be trying to play you want to be drawing as smooth as possible usually you know you want to be start, starting out three to a six or better usually uh you or you know I, or yeah especially from early position um if you're pat you'd like to be able to have a convertible type hand or have a 10 uh or have a 10 or even even a jack's all right you know kings and queens are you know it's it's especially if you when you raise that king or queen and it gets called, 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 and three people are drawing one. You're Pat. <laughs> you're you're literally in prayer mode. You're firing that first draw. All right, nobody raised. We're good. And then all of a sudden, somebody raises the next. Somebody raises. You're like, oh crap, I'm beat. And you're almost forced into folding, um, which just sucks. But I mean, I mean, that can be the danger of playing that hand, especially in early position. You know, in later position, people are going to be opening a little bit wider. People are going to be defending a little bit lighter. Um, so for the most part, it's almost it's, it's no different than uh, you know other game concepts, you know. And limit hold'em, I mean, like especially in limit hold'em, yeah, you're gonna raise maybe the ten nine suited on the button or in the cutoff, no problem. But when you're playing like nine hand or, or ten hand in a lot of the in the lower limit games, it's not gonna be ideal to raise a hand like ten nine suited in a position. It's pretty, it's just not gonna be uh, it's just not gonna be as profitable uh, when you're playing in lower limit in those games, especially because like in limit hold'em, you're playing you're ra- if you're raising. You're usually playing four or five handed. Now, again, when you play higher limit hold'em, it's almost it's never four or five. It's literally heads up three handed almost every hand. Uh, you, you know, obviously rare can'ts happen, but yeah, again, they just don't occur as often. But yeah, you just want to be able to be able to play hands that are either convertibles uh, in early position, or you know, you can you can have it. You just play accordingly. You just want to need to put when someone raises, have respect for the raise, and you just got to be able to fold. You got to be able to fold your bad doogies. You know, sometimes you're just going to lose, and so there's to it. So basically, you're, you're suggesting you'd still play it, still bet with it, but be prepared to just shut it down or pitch it away, um, or break it if it's a, if it's a breakable one. Yeah, if it's uh, yeah, you want right. to be able to. Yeah, like I mean, you know, if you don't have a non, if you have a non-convertible, like I said, it's a, it's a very difficult hand to play. I mean, as long as they're drawing, you keep firing, and on the last draw, especially when they're out of position, you check them and just pray they don't bet. And, yeah, well, that's pretty much how I do it, but it seems to be pretty streaky. I mean, you know, if you're up against one person, I believe a Pat Padoogie is favored against a drawing hand. Uh, yeah, a King Queen Jack Ten is a King Queen Jack Ten is favored over one two three. Um, it's again, it, it is the most volatile game of all the limit games. Uh, I mean, everyone. Oh, we all pray to get Padoogie rushes. I remember one time playing in LA about a year and a half ago. I was just getting buried all day. Uh, so I was stuck about 60 bets, and all of a sudden, the game, it's a Friday, and games usually go Monday to Friday. They almost they never go Saturday, Sundays. So I'm like, oh, this is a great way to go to the weekend. I'm going to lose. Like I'm just getting buried. And all of a sudden, I'm playing three-handed with two people who I want to play three-handed with, uh, and I went on an insane Badoogie rush in eight hands. I somehow made up 60 bets in eight hands. Like I made the nut over nut like three different times. I, I, made a, I think I made a five against a six. I made two sixes against a seven in one hand and eight in another hand. Um, myself and another guy were pat in another hand. I had a pat eight. 
he saw Ben have a worse pat eight. It was, it was just absurd. Uh, Badugi rushes the greatest. Getting buried in Badugi might be the worst, though. Um, <laughs> that's all there is to it. Uh, oh, and I, like, and by the way, I was just able to think right now. Uh, five card draw, a five card draw high, and I had another game of my and limit Omaha high. I think I, I think those are the other two. I knew they were high games, limit games. I think that might be two of the other twenty. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that would be a you know, like I said, that, that'd be my I guess like my thought process over all of that. Yeah, you know, excellent. So. I mean, you really do want to play Titan just about every one of these games in early position. Uh, like in Deuce 7, have a Deuce. It'll help. You know, stuff like that. So, you know, and like I said, Titan really, tight really is right in the lower limit games. It really is. It will get the money. Long term. Any, any follow-up on that, John, at all? Or are you good? I am good. All right. Uh, Brian, did you have something? Soja? Yeah, so I was just—I was more just curious more than anything. Typically, <clears throat> when you're playing, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, limit games, you tend to have less variance than you do in, in no limit or pot limit games, uh, and so therefore, you know, some of your swings may not be as as large as they would if you were going no limit. But uh, just like any any other game or anything you do, you're going to have those times when you have downswings. So when when you are a, a you know kind of a mixed game specialist, talk to us about how you handle those downswings. Is is game choice come into play as to how you get out of it, or do you just walk away from it, or just overall what what's kind of your what does it look like for you when when you go through a downswing and how do you get yourself out of it? Well, unfortunately, in 2019, uh, game selection choices are uh, very limited. Uh, even as recently as seven, eight years ago, there'd be a ton of tables you could choose from. So I'm, for the most part, playing with the same pool of players for the most part when I'm out in Vegas or L.A. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's just that's the way it is for right now, uh, the poker landscape. Uh, I generally have a rule when I lose uh, 50 – like when I, when I go to L.A. for a month or two months at a time, uh, when, like, so the games only in L.A. go – the games I play only play Monday through Friday normally. But if I lose 50 bets in a day, uh, I tend not to play the following day. Um, you know, I, I wish I was good enough to where I could just no problem, let it go. And but usually I'll take a day off and just relax, chill. The game's going to be there the following day, or at least the five of the, or at least Monday through Friday it is. Um, so yeah, me me personally, I, you know, when I have big losses, I'll just take a day off, relax, chill. Uh, usually there's some sporting event I can watch. Uh, you know, uh, during the evening or whatever. When I'm out in LA, I'm usually standing there being being in a cool area, so I'll just check out some random sites or. Whatever, I'll just read. I'll just you know read whatever uh, whatever I might have brought with me to LA that day. Um, you know, when I'm a, uh, I really ever I can't I, I don't really see much when I play live. It might look like I do. I might be really pissed off, or I might be moping. In, I guess I could be moping in my chair a little bit, so to speak. But for the most part, when dealing with big losses, you know, I just I'll, I'll take a day off and just go back the following day. Um, usually, I'd say how I deal with it for the most part, and I, I, I've been pretty consistent with that over the years. Cool. Dave, Dave or Rob, did you guys have anything at all? Okay. Um, so, so I was going to ask you a little bit about, you, you mentioned some of the, the cash tournaments. So like, how do you split your time, Adam, in, in general? I know kind of high level, if you look at kind of the course of a year, like how much of your playing is cash, how much of it's tournaments, and then kind of roughly, like how much are you playing? Like how many hours a week do you think on average you play? And I know it varies week to week quite a bit. 
I'll put. Uh, well, let me get a. <laughs> let me take a glass of water here. My mouth's drying up. Give me one second. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just trying to get a feel for. You know, with this, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of tournaments, and you said you only play like <clears throat> twenty hold'em tournaments. So I'm kind of curious. Are you? Would you consider yourself primarily a cash player, or how do you uh, split that time? I'm still a cash game player above all else. I just I still haven't been playing a few more tournaments, more so in the last year or so. I mean, just, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'll go through streaks like that occasionally. Um, I'll say this for the average professional poker player, I probably play less poker than probably 97, 98% of them. Um, again, like I said, I've been very good at money management life to where I've been able to hold on to a bunch of my money. unlike the majority of the players to where maybe they have to play 10, 11 months, of, 10, 11 months of the year. Um, but when I do, when I do go, when I do go to LA or whatever, I'll usually put in uh, 50, 50, 60 hours every single week, sometimes 70, 80 hours. If the games are phenomenal and the games are actually going, but they don't go around the clock uh, anymore like they used to. Um, my typical year, the last several years has been, I go to LA every, uh, during the LAPC every year from late January to early March, anywhere from four to six weeks on average. I've been doing that for the last 12, 13, 14 years. Uh, uh, then I'd say from about, uh, and then uh, the last couple of years I've been playing the tournament in Cleveland, uh, and the first, the weekend, the, the second or third weekend in January mm-hmm. from March until the world series starts. Um, Half the time, maybe I'll do a one-week trip somewhere randomly to play cat. I mean, I guess uh, maybe I used to go to L.A. More, a little more frequently for a week, a week and a half here and there. I haven't been doing that as much the last couple of years. Usually, I'll just play any 1K buy-in, 1,500 no limit tournament. That's within a two-, three-, four-hour drive uh, of where I'm living at here in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, do that occasionally. Uh, I'm trying to think, what if I... I mean, it's really weird. Outside the World Series, I don't go to Vegas much anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, the fact I'm going to Vegas for four days uh, in November, uh, I think I've been to Vegas no more than four or five times total outside the World Series this decade. Uh, yeah. I, I, I actually went to look that up earlier because I mentioned that to somebody. They didn't think that was true, and I wanted to look that. I wanted to go through my records and check it up. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I, usually in the fall, I, and I had some personal stuff going on, so I couldn't do it this year. Uh, usually in the fall, I'll go to L.A. for about, Anywhere from four to eight weeks, uh, either straight or I'll break it up maybe one month here, one month later on. Uh, and then when I'm usually doing these trips, for instance, usually I'll add on a, an MSPT tournament when I can. So, uh, like, so I'm going to Vegas and LA afterwards for a few weeks uh, just to play cash. And there's one tournament I want to play for the Poker Masters uh, in November. But since it's on the way out there, it's only one extra flight. So I'm going to play the MSPT uh, tournament in Iowa uh, next weekend. Uh, which I'm looking forward to playing. Very cool. Uh, so, and then I, I just got through stretches where I just, I typically don't play as much. Uh, this year was so weird. I played a lot after the World Series, which I can't even think of the last time that happens. But normally I don't play from the minute I leave Vegas, the middle of July. I usually don't play until uh, September. So usually I take about six weeks off then or so. Uh, usually uh, from Thanksgiving until about the first week or so, that's about six, seven weeks. I don't normally play in that spot. Uh, again, I, I think I'm actually going to travel in December, which I almost never do. I think I did two years ago, uh, just because I had a buddy who was running a places to say you can come stay with me for free uh, 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 in, her, in Manhattan Beach. Okay, sure, I'm out. <laughs> I'm on my way out there. Uh, he says, "Yeah, my family doesn't come out for. I, I got this place for six weeks. My family doesn't come out for the two weeks." I'm like, all right, you got me. Just let me buy dinner a couple times. We're good to go. He's like, sure. So like, that's exactly why I'm having you come out here. Uh, so he's basically counting me like buying a meal. And, and so it sounds like when you're, when you're not playing, you're not necessarily actively studying the game. You're, you're sort of taking I, I, the I, I downtime. 
I've told people uh, over the years, they, some people laugh at me when I've told them this. My way of studying, as dumb as it sounds, if I've got like some sh- movie or some television show on Netflix or something I'm watching, uh, I, I have a hard time, for whatever reason, just keeping the attention the entire time unless the movie or show is fantastic. I, I, I run hands out, as weird as that sounds, and I just see you know what hands play what, and I, and I do it all different games. I probably do that on average about 30 minutes every single day. Uh, what do you, like what do you said, mean, run, yeah. hand, run hands out with a physical deck of cards, or what do you? Yeah, mean? with a yeah, okay. with, with a physical deck of cards, and I just Very run cool. it out. I mean, usually, usually, like right now, like so I turn the baseball game off because there's no way I'd be able to concentrate on this and watch at the same time right now. Right. So, truth is, I know, I know, it was two two in the bottom of the first. I don't know what the score is now. I don't want to know. Uh, all these spoilers. I don't want. Oh, oh! You DVR the baseball game? <laughs> that's okay. okay. Yeah, I was recording no. it, but that's okay. You only gave me the first oh. inning. That's okay. Yeah, it, yeah, it was two two. <laughs> uh, that's all I know. Sorry. Uh, yeah, You're so I, I turned the TV off. I, yeah, I haven't even looked at it on my cell phone since, which is pretty remarkable. But yeah, so uh, yeah, I mean, so usually when I'm doing that. I'm I'm literally just I'm running hands out. I'm just you know I'm watching it between pitches or whatever. Uh, just I just run hands. Yep. I don't recommend. Most people aren't going to be able to learn that way. I seem to be able to, and I see certain concepts. Uh, like, huh, that's interesting. Uh, and it's it's goofy, but it's always worked for me. And I don't think it would work for probably ninety eight percent of people. If I were to guess, well, what I love, it, I could be what, completely off. What I love about that is you're saying this is what works for me. I and, might be disconnected. Nope. Can you hear me now? Check check. Can you hear right. me now? Uh, Are yeah. You there? Yeah. Can you hear me? Check check. One two. Can you hear me? Ah, uh, John, Rob, Dave. Can you guys hear me? Is it uh, I'm now? there. I'm there. I can, oh, I can hear you go. now. Uh, it, it keeps saying my internet connection is unstable. That's Uh-oh. odd. At least it's your internet connection. It's not you. That's unstable. Okay, I'm there. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, I can hear you. Okay, sorry about that. Yeah. Well, no. What I what I like about that is is saying this is what works for me, and I think that's the core. That's a core thing for all of us players who are trying to get better. Is figure out what works for you. What's your learning style? Is it watching videos? Is it talking about hands with with friends? Is it you know running running physical decks of cards? I mean, whatever it is, I think that's the key. And I think so many of us just sort of except by default what we're supposed to do to learn the game rather than saying what's the best way for me to learn the game and then being consistent and doing that. That's what I like about that. I mean, I'll say this. Usually a lot of the players I play with, if I got a random question, for the most part, everyone will answer uh, for the most part. We're pretty yeah. friendly like that. Um, like we're all trying to kill each other, but usually if there's a question we have, we'll ask each other. Uh, for whatever reason, I don't know why. Like everyone was asking, like some of the best players in the world, they're all, they were asking me about certain specific studies a lot this year during the World Series, which is cool, and I had no problems answering it. Yeah. Uh, but whenever I have questions about games where I know they're better, and like I know one guy who I consider one of the best, one of the three or four best limit holding players in the world, uh, I'll ask him some very you know cool type questions that I might not be able to figure out for myself, and he'll just answer them for me. Like, no problem. No, no, you don't need to divulge who that is, but can I just ask you one question? Is it somebody who's on this panel right now? I'm looking at him. <laughs> No, no, I'm just kidding. Very good. Uh, well, yeah. I know we're we're getting <laughs> we're getting close to time. Uh, I got a couple more questions as we wrap up. But yeah, Dave, go. John, Rob, Brian, do you guys have any other questions you want to ask before we uh, wrap up here? Uh, do you mind if I introduce? I, I'm pretty sure we've met before, but do you mind if I introduce myself to you in Iowa next next month next week? Sure. Yeah, you're gonna be in Iowa. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, 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 I'm sorry. What was your name again? I'm sorry. Just so I remember. Uh, it's Brian Soja, S-O-J-A. S-O-J-A, okay. And there's a very high probability that he'll have a New England Patriots Tom Brady jersey on. Oh, Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> is that out loud? Well, 
<laughs> well, if if I have the fortune to make it to day two again, I'll for sure have a red one on. But if I'm uh, on Friday or Saturday, there usually I pick one day to wear a blue one, and otherwise something else. But I, I know Adam, it's it's a real it's a pain point for us. His Twitter handle is MN Pat's fan. It's really it's all, very difficult. Yeah. Well, I mean, like the last time I was in Iowa, uh, it hurt. Uh, I went to the Ohio State Iowa game, and we lost by like five hundred. I went to the Iowa game. I promptly, I, I, uh, I, I, I came back and I promptly blew two buy-ins uh, over the next hour and a half when I was there. You're on tilt. So, yeah, I was on life tilt. No, no, no. I, I was on life tilt. I just, I ran, I ran on the nuts like both times. Whatever yeah. happens. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on to me. We'll, we'll talk for a little bit. So, so Brian was, uh, I think, multi, a multiple-time winner of the nicest guy in poker in Minnesota, or something like that. I don't know what you won, but you know, we got we got a couple pretty nice guys here on the panel, so. Uh, you'll enjoy hanging out with Brian. Well, let's let's uh, a couple of questions as we wrap up here. Now, Adam, are you? I haven't seen you out there, but maybe I'm just missing it. Are you doing anything with coaching or writing, or do you have anything else in the poker business world, or is it pretty much just playing? I just I just play. I just play. Uh, do you, you don't do yeah. any coaching of any kind? I thought about doing it over the years. Uh, I, I I I I think I taught like I, I taught a couple of things at the, at the local club once. Yeah, uh, I did a couple of uh, things for Nolan Holdem four or five years ago, whatever it was. Beyond that, I haven't really done any. I, truth is, if I were to do it, I, I know it's some of my friends charge for one-on-one tutoring coaching. Uh, but if I were to do it, I, I prefer to do it in person. But the people in Columbus are not going to pay what I would what I would want right. to charge. Right. So, I just want to make sure we gave you a shout out in case you were doing something like that. Maybe it's yeah. Maybe it's we I, could talk about doing a, a group coaching thing uh, that makes it a little more affordable. But I was just I just want to make sure you got a shout out if you were doing anything with that. No, 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 no. I'm just like I said. I'm just playing. You know, and like I said, like when you see, like when you see in Iowa, if you got a random. You want to ask me a couple of questions? I'm always. I'm, you know, I'm willing to answer. I got no problems with that. So, you know, very cool. But, um, yeah, I tend to be. I think I'm pretty decent with that overall. So, and if people yeah. want to connect with you, people are like, man, I, I kind of enjoyed that. I know you're on Twitter. Or what's What's the best way for people to follow you or connect with you that are that are interested in that? It's weird. I keep trying to make it a point to be on Twitter less and less. Uh, just okay. all social media in general. Okay, so Adam Friedman uh, is not on Twitter. I'm going to tell you guys right no, now. No, 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 no. I, oh, I, oh, I am. I, I am. I, I, I don't always see my notifications for whatever reason. Right. Uh, when my name is brought up, but you know, if uh, I guess if I, if I find a question I find fairly interesting, maybe once once in a blue moon I answer those questions. But I, I, I will say the majority of the time I tend not to. I, I'm. I don't know why I do or why I don't in certain occasions. Sure. But, uh, yeah, like if you ever, whenever, if you ever see me, just you know, just come up to me. I, 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 pro- I, I promise I'm not scary. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I'm just joking. Uh, no, I just, uh, you know, whatever, just uh, come up to me and, uh, as long as I'm not in the middle of a hand or anything, that's all I would ever ask. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, I enjoyed hanging out with you a little bit in Cleveland and, and Indiana. Uh, fun to get to know you a little bit, see, see your game style, see how you approach the game. And, and I know you're not, you know, out there like all these other big names, you know, promoting yourself all over the place, doing all kinds of stuff. So that's why I loved having you on because some of the other folks are eager to come on because they're trying to promote this, that, or the other. And that's great. I mean, they're, they're great interviews. For you, you don't really have a, you know, a vested interest in coming on here. You're not trying to sell something. And so that's why, you know, even to a greater level, I appreciate you taking the time because you have nothing other than just sort of goodwill and giving back to the poker community to come on here. And so that's why I really appreciated you saying yes to, to doing this. I was glad to do this. I thought this would be interesting to do. I'd never done anything like this. You know, half the time, it's just to see it's, uh, you know, if there's something new or interesting I can try or do. Uh, I thought this was fun. Good, man. Well, I enjoyed we'll, this. Good. Well, thank you again and good luck, uh, 
uh, on all your sports, <laughs> your dinners that you're trying to win in your sport, sporting events over the World Series and such. But um, guys, any last words from any of you guys? Otherwise, we'll, we'll let Adam go here. Looks like I'm seeing nothing. So, so we'll just let you go, Adam. And thank you so much. If you have any questions, follow-ups or whatever, just get in touch with me. Uh, otherwise, we'll we'll be back in touch and see if we can do this again sometime. All right. Well, again, again, thank thank you for having me. And uh, I hope you guys uh, hope I was able to help out a little bit. And uh, I think this is really cool what you guys uh, do here on Rec Poker. Actually, uh, I'm uh, I look forward to seeing how this uh, thing progresses as the years go on here. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Very hopefully, cool. this hopefully the conversation helps. It, I think it's going to fuel me. Hopefully, it'll help fuel other people uh, to to build up the prize pools for you in the mixed games. Well, I, I, well like, I, I, like I said, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's baby steps. Don't be in a rush to move right, up. Right. You know, it, eventually, you know, like I said, it's like anything else. When you, uh, when you start playing, you'll get more hours and you get more comfortable. And then you, yep. you start winning. Don't be afraid to take a step up and try maybe a better game. Maybe if you fly out to, you know, Vegas with uh, the boys or uh, the family and you see a slightly bigger game, you take a shot in a slightly bigger game. It's no different than anything else. It's, uh, you know, it's trial and error half the time. I mean, as much as, it, and that's really what poker is. Trial yep. and error. Be willing to, uh, be willing to learn. And uh, cut down your ego. You got to be, you know, you, you know, yeah. you'd have confidence, but you, but you got to live in the realm of reality. Love it. All right. Well, with, with those great last words, we'll, we'll let you go. And uh, everybody, thanks to the panel uh, for jumping on here. Thanks to Adam. And uh, we will chat with you guys later. All right. Well, thank you once again to Adam Friedman. Thank you to the panel. Reminder, we've got the Intro to Poker Math Seminar, November 15th and 19th, 20 bucks. 15 bucks if you're a community member. Uh, you can choose from either night or do both, 8 o'clock p.m., uh, covering kind of the essentials, uh, the essential principles of poker math, an area that a lot of people have been asking me about. Uh, I have a math background, but this is really focused on the principles and applying those and trying to figure out how do we use math to make optimal decisions. That's what it's about. Um, also, we got a few things coming up November 6th, this Wednesday, Hand History with Chris Jones. If you're a community member, you can participate in that conversation. And then open to the public at 8 o'clock is our online Poker Stars home game. It's a blast. Go to rec.poker, click on home game, and uh, get the information there. Coming up uh, November 11th, interview with Lena Evans and a few others from the Poker League of Nations. November 13th, Chapter 5 of the Book Study. Also November 13th. Hand History with Taylor Moss, looking at defending the big blind. So a lot of great stuff coming up. Stay plugged in. Uh, sign up for the newsletter. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, all the stuff. Um, also, you know, one thing I, I rarely mention, I should mention it probably more often, is uh, we'd love to have you go out and uh, like, uh, rate, and review the podcast. So go out uh, wherever you get your podcasts and uh, spend just, just shoot us a, a note out there, rate us, review us, that stuff helps uh, build the exposure to the podcast, which, which we appreciate uh, as we continue to grow uh, in this thing. But thanks to Running Aces, Racetrack and Casino, our official sponsor uh, for the third year in a row. Uh, thanks to them. And uh, thanks to Adam Friedman and our panels. And we will chat with you next week.